Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Hugh Morris. I'm a senior research partner with Xian. And today we have a fabulous webinar for you on virtual asset regulatory development and highlights from Mauritius. Uh, now, to enable us to bring you this series of webinars, we need to immediately thank all our sponsors who prevent, present us with the opportunity to range far and wide in terms of the content that uh, we are able to share with you, uh, including the session on Mauritius today. Now, Mauritius is a centre well known for its innovation, and we've seen it leap up the Global Financial Centres Index that Zien publishes, and uh, Mauritius, between uh, editions 32 and 33 of the index, has risen 11 points in the ranking, uh, which is an outstanding achievement. And when you hear from some of the speakers today, you will understand why this has happened with the initiatives that are going on. So our agenda for today is driven by uh, me getting out of the way as fast as possible. Then we have the keynote presentations from our contributors for uh, Mauritius, uh, and I will wrap the thing up at the end in about 45 minutes, time, an hour and a quarter's time. Sorry, get that timing right. Uh, so without further ado, let me start by showing you who we have speaking today. We have Mr. Dennis Werner Thakur, Chief Executive Financial Services Commission, Ms. Chinusha Boyju, Acting Manager for the Financial Services Commission, Mr. Ashvin Gopi, Managing Partner of Lex Frontier, Mr. Kamal Burun, Assistant Director of the Financial Services Commission, Mr. Shailendra Singh Dungur, Acting Senior Manager, Financial Services Commission, Mrs. Hemlata Nundukam, Chief of Supervision for the Bank of Mauritius, and Mrs. Jessica Naga, Managing Director of Digital Associates Limited. Those are our speakers. Now, as I said before, my job is to get out of the way and to introduce Mr. Thakur, Chief Executive of the Financial Services Commission, to describe the evolving fintech regulatory landscape in Mauritius. Mr. Thakur, my pleasure to hand over to you. Thank you, Yud, and thank you, as usual, for this lovely introduction. And today, I must say, it was quite um, radio style, and then but we loved it. And as usual, it gives me an immense pleasure to address the ZYN community. And I wish you all a very good afternoon or very good morning, depending on where you are, for your presence to this webinar today. And we will aim at promoting, at least showcasing Mauritius as a jurisdiction of choice when it comes to uh, conducting business in virtual assets. And indeed, recognizing the regulation, that regulation is vital uh, for the growth of fintech. We in Mauritius, we have put in place a number of legislative provisions to position us as a leading fintech hub. But let me start with um, a statement from the Financial Stability Board, the FSB, on international regulation and supervision of crypto assets uh, that was back in July 2022 and where I quote the recent turmoil in crypto asset markets highlights their intrinsic volatility structural vulnerabilities and increasing interconnectedness with the traditional financial system 
And further, I quote, an effective regulatory framework must ensure that crypto asset activities posing risks similar to traditional financial activities are subject to the same regulatory outcomes while taking account of the novel features of crypto assets and harnessing their benefits, end of quote. And we at the FSC Mauritius, as a forward-looking regulator, we were the early adopters of this approach as advocated by the FSB. And indeed, in Mauritius, as an international financial center and growing fintech hub, is among the first countries in the eastern and southern African region to adopt a comprehensive legislation on virtual assets and initial token offerings through the enactment of the Virtual Assets and Initial Token Offering Services Act in 2021, and which for short, we call our VITAS Act. This act, which came into force in February 2022, regulates the new and developing business activities surrounding virtual assets and initial token offerings and makes provisions for inter alia, managing, mitigating, and preventing money laundering, financing of terrorism and proliferation risks associated with virtual assets and initial token offering services. And I must highlight that VASPs and ITOs are categorized as financial institutions and are subject to the full prudential <coughs> and AML CFT legislative frameworks, as these are traditional financial institutions. <coughs> At a time when the global regulatory landscape is uncertain, our regulatory framework provides clarity and consistency. Indeed, our regulatory landscape provides for all dimensions of the public interface with the virtual assets to protect them and at the same time address prudential and AML-CFT risks. So we have developed FinTech as a pillar of, for future growth in line with the FATF recommendation 15 on new technologies. <clears throat> the five different types of licenses we offer are the virtual asset broker dealer, the virtual assets wallet, the virtual asset custodian, <clears throat> the virtual asset advisory services, the virtual asset marketplace. And within the act, we have also made provision for issuers of initial token offerings, which we recognize through the, uh, through the act. And to date, we have issued licenses to five entities already uh, in, in, in this field, namely as uh, virtual asset brokers, dealers, virtual assets wallet services, virtual asset custodian, and virtual asset marketplace. 
So ancillary to the Act, we have also issued the AML CFT guidance notes, which set out the main areas of concern when it comes to virtual assets. The virtual assets have also been recognized as a means for money laundering and has caught the attention of the FATF. Our AML CFT guidance notes provides not only for an outlook on the significance of money laundering or terrorism financing risks associated with the virtual assets, with the virtual asset activities, but also serve as a guidance for the VASPs and the ITOs with respect to their anti-money laundering and combating the financing of terrorism compliance obligations under the VITOS. The FSC has also issued a series of rules under the VITOS, namely the capital and other financial requirements, client disclosure, custody of client assets, cybersecurity, publication of advertisements, risk management, and statutory returns. And I'm sure some of our speakers later will perhaps elaborate, drill down a bit further in the, on these rules and the, uh, the license activities. And with these legislative instruments, we have captured the majority of transactions and services being offered in the field of virtual assets. With a rapid change in technology, the Financial Services Commission will remain attentive to any new activities and adapt its regulatory framework accordingly. And in terms of licensing, I'm pleased to highlight that we have put in place a new streamlined process for the applications, which are assessed based on information submitted on our digital platform, which is the FSE1 platform, and on the confirmations, undertakings, and declarations submitted, following which the licenses are granted within 10 to 12 days when the files are complete. Now I come to the financial literacy campaign. With a new legislative framework in place, it was therefore our duty as a regulator to conduct and undertake a financial literacy paradigm to educate consumers about virtual assets and to create an overall understanding and awareness about those assets so that investors are aware of the risks that they entail. And the purpose of our financial literacy campaign on the virtual assets were threefold. First, to send a very strong message to the international standard setters that activities, if any, in this asset clause are being carried out in a regulated and controlled environment. We are a jurisdiction of substance and of purpose, and therefore we have ensured that the endpoints that could potentially allow money laundering to occur have been closed and that the customers would not be unnecessarily misled by unscrupulous service providers. The second message is towards the actual service providers informing them 
that they need a license from the commission to provide any such service within the Mauritian jurisdiction. And lastly, the investors should now be aware that they have to deal for their own protection with only those service providers who have been duly licensed. Let me also highlight that Mauritius remains committed to meeting international norms and standards. With the re-rating upgrade of the FATF Recommendation 15, the compliance of Mauritius with the FATF recommendations enhances the status of the jurisdiction as a transparent jurisdiction in the global financial sector and reinforce its position as a prominent investment destination. The FSC will continue to protect the integrity of the virtual assets ecosystem with a view to upholding the reputation of Mauritius as a robust and credible jurisdiction. And to conclude, I would like to reiterate that as the integrated regulator for the non-bank financial services, the FSC's focus remains the full-fledged supervision as well as improving and streamlining our licensing processes. I'm very hopeful that going forward, we will be able to build a jurisdiction of repute when it comes to the services in the field of virtuous assets while being in compliance with the international standard setting bodies. On this note, I wish you all fruitful deliberations on this webinar, which as you are aware, focuses on the latest regulatory and market changes and aims to shed light on the practical implica implications on the ongoing initiatives on the virtual assets ecosystem. Thank you, Jules. to you. Thank you very much, Mr. Thakur, for an exceptionally enlightening uh, and very helpful uh, keynote speech to the proceedings. Very much appreciated. Next, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you our next speaker, who is Tinusha Oiju, and she is going to describe the overview of VITOS Act and the initiatives that go with it. Tinusha, my great pleasure to hand over to you. Thank you so much, um, Hugh, for the introduction. So, um, by way of background, our um, journey into the um, virtual assets started off with the National Risk Assessment Exercise, which was completed in 2021. In our quest to maintain the integrity of our jurisdiction, the NRA on virtual assets and virtual asset service providers allowed us to identify, assess, and um, understand the MLTF risk faced by uh, Mauritius. The NRA concluded that the risk associated was um, very high. The um, act, so one of the outcomes identified during the uh, NRA exercise was the need for us to have a comprehensive um, legislative framework governing the VA and VSP um, ecosystem. I would appreciate you if you could shift to the next slide, please. Thank you. The, the next one, please. So, um, as I was saying, one of the main outcomes identified following the NRA exercise was for us to have a comprehensive um, legislative framework for virtual asset service providers and issuers of initial tokens offerings. And um, 
In this vein, we have um, drafted the Virtual Assets and Initial Tokens um, Services Act, which came into force in February last year. The Act, um, I must stress on the fact that the Act is in line with the FATF standards in terms of AMS, CFT, and PF. The Act also designates the FSC as the Prudential and AMS CFT Supervisor Authority responsible and for regulating and supervising the business activities of virtual assets. This being said, it means that any person who wishes to carry out, conduct the business activities of a VSP or an IITO must obtain a license or a registration um, prior with the FSC. As mentioned by the chief executive in his keynote address, VSPs and IITOs have been classified as um, financial institutions. On the next slide, you have an overview of a legislative framework, which as FI, the um, VSPs and IITOs are subject to. On the right-hand side of the panel, you can have a look at the different um, acts. So it covers the prudential and AMS CFT legislations and um, regulations as well but also in terms of TFS legislation under the UN Sanction Act. The Act, the VITUS Act itself provides the FSC with the power to issue rules under the Act. As of date, we have issued seven um, rules under the VITUS Act, such as the client disclosure, custody of client assets, or even the travel rules in line with recommendation 15 and elements of recommendation 16 of the uh, FATF. We have also issued some um, guidance notes, the AMS CFT guidance notes on VSPs and IITOs. The purpose of the guidance notes is to provide an outlook on the um, significance of MLTF risk associated with um, virtual asset activities. It contains, amongst others, um, the salient MLTF red flag indicators and also the key AMS CFT obligations that are to be observed by VSPs and IITOs post-registration or um, licensing. The next slide, and the next slide, I have provided an overview with the uh, different categories, classes of licenses. The first one is in terms of broker-dealer, where the business activity is in terms of exchanges between virtual assets and fiat currencies. The second type of uh, license is in relation to wallet services, where the business activity should cover transfer of virtual assets. In terms of the custodian license, we're looking at the safekeeping and the administration of virtual assets. The fourth category of um, license relates to advisory services, where here the business activity should cover the participation and provision of uh, financial services related to an issuer's offer or the sale of a virtual asset. And the last category relates to uh, the setting up of a virtual um, asset exchange. On the next slide, as we have mentioned, the uh, virtual asset service providers and the IITOs are subject to two legs of supervision. One, which is potential. Once they are licensed or registered, um, the ESPs and IITOs must comply with the different um, legislative provisions. The Act also allows the FSC to promote investor education, as has been highlighted by the chief executive in his address. It also allows the FXC to take uh, any measures together with the Bank of Mauritius to ensure the stability of the financial system. But it also allows the FSC to conduct on-site inspection, to exchange information with its counterparts and uh, law enforcement agencies. As an FI, the VSPs and the IITOs are also subject to our AMS CFT um, 
legislation. They are also subject to our OBS supervision. And I must highlight that our uh, OBS supervision has already been adapted to capture virtual assets related activities. Once we um, classify the, uh, the VSPs or ITOs in terms of their riskiness, that is, if they are very high, they're going to be subjected to a full scope on-site inspection. If they are rated as high risk or medium, they will be subject to a targeted on-site inspection. And if they are classified as um, low risk, they would be subject to um, a desk-based um, review. Now that I've covered the licensing for the different licenses, the broad aspects of the supervision, uh, it's important to highlight that the act also allows the FSC to have a plethora of enforcement powers. On the next slide, you will see that um, section 36, every DSP, IITOs, or even the um, controllers, past or present, who is ought to be licensed by the commission must furnish and produce information as and when it is requested by the FSC. In terms of uh, enforcement action, as you will note from the next slide, we have um, special powers in terms of investigation when we deal with um, entities or persons that have been licensed by um, the commission. So we will conduct an, an investigation when the chief executive has ground to believe that a person has um, contravened or breached the uh, Virtual Asset Act or whether the person has carried out or is likely to carry out an activity that would cause prejudice to the uh, Mauritius International Financial Center. Uh, section 40 will apply for a person that has not been licensed by the FSC. That is, we will conduct a special investigation. Again, this will be targeting uh, persons who provide advertisers or hold himself as providing VSP activities or um, is likely to commit a, a breach of the um, Virtual Asset Act, go over vitals for us. Uh, in section 41, allows the FSC to actually appoint a qualified a person to conduct an inspection or investigation into the affairs of a VSP and to produce the report of findings to the commission. Section 43 also allows us to uh, suspend a license. Again, should uh, we believe, should we have reasonable ground that the uh, person has committed a breach of the act. In terms of disciplinary, disciplinary proceedings, um, we can also refer the matter, the entity, to the uh, Enforcement Committee for its deliberations. And in terms of administrative sanctions under Section 49, this allows the um, FSC to take appropriate and adequate sanctions. We have also, as a forward-looking regulator, implemented actions to um, target unlicensed and, and unregistered operators. On the next slide, Hugh, please. So we have um, implemented a web scrapping tool using the uh, open source intelligent with a uh, dark web integration. It is an automated tool that allowed us to uh, provide further information to support our investigation for the identification of unlicensed and unregistered um, VSPs. We have also acquired a blockchain analytics tools to show how um, cryptocurrencies are being transferred and held by entities in Mauritius. The uh, platform and the data that we have through the tool provides us with the ability to actually navigate the cryptocurrency landscape to gain insights into digital assets, but also to assess the direct and indirect exposures uh, from within Mauritius. We also share that information with our um, law enforcement 
counterparts to detect those transactions related to um, virtual um, assets. On the next slide, I would like to stress on the importance of the collaboration with um, our counterparts, our stakeholders. Again, uh, the supervi our supervisor authorities applied the risk-based approach. From this risk-based approach, we have uh, monitoring capacities to allow us to prevent and mitigate those uh, AML, MLTF risk. We have also, we also collaborate on an ongoing basis with law enforcement agencies, not only through the tools, but through any source of information that is made available to us. To this effect, we have signed a, memor a memorandum of cooperation with the uh, Mauritius Police Force, which establishes the framework, which formalizes, if I can stress, on the framework for collaboration between the two authorities. It is not only related to um, virtual asset information, it also relates to any kind of exchange information and capacity building initiatives in the field of AML CFT. On my um, last slide, I wanted to bring to your attention the number of actions that we have taken at the level of the FSC. We have issued uh, 31 letters to um, persons operating as a VSP regarding uh, the requirement to be licensed. We have also issued nine directions to persons who were potentially operating as a VSP. Eight special investigations, so to people who are not licensed, to persons who are not licensed by the FSC, who again were potentially operating as a VSP, and those eight special investigations have been referred to the police force. And um, as you can see on the slide, we have taken a number of actions, such as uh, issuing also a general alert against scammers and fraudsters. We have also collaborated with our uh, domestic computer emergency response teams to uh, pull down the websites of five companies who were soliciting the buying and selling of virtual assets in Mauritius. We have also referred um, IP addresses to the Mauritius police force in the same vein. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you very much indeed, Tinusha. A great introduction to the act and the initiatives there. Uh, and now it's my absolute pleasure to introduce Mr. Ashwin Guppy, managing partner of Lex Frontier who is going to describe some of the ongoing initiatives in which he is involved. Good day, everyone. It's, it's an absolute pleasure uh, for me to be here with you today. Um, I will, I will um, address my presentation about the ongoing initiative uh, of uh, the jurisdiction as a whole, in fact. Um, as we are all very aware, the space of virtual assets uh, and the potentials that the applications of the blockchain technology brings are extremely dynamic. So um, when embracing virtual assets into a legal framework, a regulatory framework rather, like we did, ongoing initiatives become uh, a culture, given, as I said, um, the dynamic feature of the space, uh, feeling which not only does the jurisdiction becomes obsolete, which brings about uh, bad publicity, but worse, it can become exposed to AML CFT issues or governance issues like uh, we might have seen in, in the FTX uh, uh, case. Now, this ongoing initiative culture is a must, not by reason of the um, evolving market, but also because of fierce competition in the space. Um, I may, during my, uh, my, my intervention, uh, touch base on a few points uh, already mentioned by Tanusha, but from a different angle that of a jurisdiction which is with, with an ongoing initiative mindset, forward-looking culture, and as an operator within that space of virtual asset, 
anybody uh, would wish to consider jurisdiction which is flexible, friendly, and definitely forward-looking. Uh, I shall address the um, ongoing initiative culture from three perspectives. Uh, the, le the legal and regulatory framework, the endeavour of the regulatory body being the Financial Services Con uh, Commission, as far as I have experienced it uh, myself, and the position of the government. I shall be putting forward what has been done and what is being done, not necessarily in the same order as I have just depicted. Now, let's first of all look at the legal and regulatory framework pre the Virtual Assets and Initial Token Offering Services Act, the VITALS, as we are commonly call it. Now, the VITALS received the presidential assets on the 7th of February um, 2022. Uh, no, the presidential asset on the, uh, in December 2021, and it became, uh, came into force on the 7th of February of 2022. Now, I shall use this as a datum. That the date as a datum to uh, make certain points here. Now, in fact, this ongoing initiative culture, which is a prevailing one in Mauritius, is what has led to the enactment of the VITOS. Minded of the risks and threats posed by the virtual assets and the virtual asset service providers, Mauritius, in its quest to maintain the integrity of the jurisdiction, embarked on the virtual asset and virtual asset service providers risk assessment exercise. And this exercise was the founding stone for the enactment of the VITOS. What we have to bear in mind is that the VITOS provides a comprehensive legislative framework for VASPs and issuers of uh, initial tokens offering in line with the international standards of Financial Action Task Force, the FATF, with respect to managing, mitigating, and preventing any ML and TF risks. So what we should not lose sight here is the fact that the VITOS is predominantly an AML CFT framework, given that it springs from uh, recommendation 15 of the FATF. Now, it's, it's interesting to know that about two weeks after the enactment of the VITOS, the FSC issued the AML CFT guidance note for VASPs and issuers of initial token offerings. I, I think if my uh, recollection is, is correct, that would be the 28th of February. So just about two, week, two weeks uh, from the uh, coming into force of the VITOS. Again, as an ongoing initiative, a guidance note on AML CFT came about to reinforce the existing AML uh, framework like uh, the Financial Intelligence and, and, and Anti-Money Laundering uh, Act and regulations, the already uh, existing uh, FSC's Anti-Money Laundering and Combating of Financing of Terrorism Handbook, to name only a couple. Now, what that shows quite clearly is that um, the seriousness of the regulator and the jurisdiction as a whole to put forward um, Mauritius as a serious jurisdiction for serious players to uh, to to come and, and do business, and uh, um, <clears throat> and the guidance note uh, made the then existing framework to adapt 
to this new line of financial services and products by providing for um, a non-exhaustive list of red flag indicators such as uh, as we know in the virtual asset one intrinsic feature of that is the anonymity feature and uh, transaction patterns and etc staying in the pre-era of the uh, vitals the fse issued uh, three guidance notes namely the recognitions. So we, we already recognize the existence of virtual assets as an asset class for investment by sophisticated and expert investors, even before the coming into force of the VITOS. Um, we had a, a guidance notes on security tokens offerings and the security of, uh, token offerings and uh, security token trading systems. Now, all of them, as I say, um, they, they, they were uh, they predated the are coming to force of the vitals. But what we can see again as this ongoing culture uh, with the regulator is that all of them were subsequent to uh, the coming of uh, into force of the vitals, uh, updated in August 2022, just a few months after the vitals was uh, enacted. Why? Of course, to align these uh, guidance notes with the vitals to create a seamless um, a legal framework. Now, it is also worth noting that um, the last one I just mentioned, that is the security token and um, security token offerings and security token trading system guide notes, has recently been updated further to allow the security token trading system to be its own custodian, a feature which was not existent in the previous two version. Again. What I wish to bring home here is that this shows the ongoing initiative culture and dynamism uh, by the regulator and the jurisdiction as a whole to adapt to the ever-evolving market. I will now consider um, the legal and regulatory framework post the virus. Now, speaking about um, the ever-evolving market, I will look uh, briefly what we have seen as an ongoing initiative post the Vitus era. We all know that uh, virtual asset is one of the uh, products or application rather of the blockchain technology. There are other uh, which are uh, as attractive and quite buzzing, for example, NFTs. Now, on the 30th November 2022, the uh, Financial Services Commission, still in its forward looking attitude, came up with a guidance note on the regulatory treatment of non-fungible tokens to capture uh, different types of players in the uh, virtual token space. And recently, the FSC has issued a draft guidance note uh, on decentralized autonomous organizations, commonly called DAO, and all are in the same spirit of ongoing initiative to enlarge the portfolio of operators uh, within the blockchain sphere. And it's it's kind of, uh, it, it's, it's Interesting to note, um, there are very, very few jurisdictions in the world currently, as I'm speaking, that have embraced uh, the concept of DAO, and Mauritius being one of those very few. Uh, and, and off the top of my head, we might be about the, 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 the fifth or sixth jurisdiction in the whole world that have uh, that has uh, embraced the concept of DAO. Now. Um, still post the uh, coming to force of the vitals, 
we have seen a number of rules uh, laid out by the FSC to support the vitals and the virtual asset space in general, such as, as uh, mentioned already by Tinusha. Uh, the travel rules, the capital and other financial requirements rules, client disclosure rules, custody of clients, asset rules, publications and advertisement rules, to name only a few. At the government level now, um, the Ministry of Financial Services and Good Governance set up last year a fintech working group. Uh, fintech, of course, uh, being larger than just the Virtual Asset Initiative and Offering Services Act, being, of course, larger than just you know virtual assets, um, basically. Uh, we are in the process of drafting the report, which identifies uh, blockades and make uh, uh, recommendations accordingly. Now, you, we, we have to understand that when the virus uh, came about and the various guidance notes that accompanied it has created some sort of ripples in the existing legal framework. For instance, our framework recognizes uh, tokenization of securities, shares being a security. But if you want to tokenize your share, uh, it may not quite fit well with the requirements of Companies Act and the Registration Treaties Act. Of course, those are things that's bad to happen, and um, but we, we do have um, a, a forward-looking government, which is uh, very minded to ensure that uh, we have a seamless uh, legal framework so that everything is meshed into each other uh, perfectly. And um, and lastly, um, I would wish to highlight the forward-looking attitude of the officers of the FSC by way of a personal experience. About three weeks ago, uh, I had a, a, a DAO client that I took to um, to the uh, to the FSC, and at that time, the DAO there's a draft, draft DAO uh, guidance that just came about. Uh, I think it was like two days old. Um, and the client, she she's from, from the States, and the exchange we had with the officers, she say that she's, she's been through uh, many jurisdictions like Switzerland, Netherlands, Denmark, and the States. She's never ever experienced anything of that sort in terms of um, uh, um, the forward-looking uh, attitude. They, they were all around the table and, and thinking about, okay, what we can do? What are the acts that we need uh, amendments? Or whether we need a DAO Act, of course, uh, um, um, it's not, not to say that uh, there will be one or there won't be one, but what I'm trying to bring home again is that you know, the culture, the forward-looking culture that is intrinsic and really embedded into, into uh, um, the jurisdiction, the regulatory, uh, bodies, the, the officers, and etc. And, and this is the kind of culture that you need today to push uh, this space forward. Uh, um, I will reiterate as a closing to my intervention today that Mauritius, with its ongoing initiative culture, positions itself as a serious jurisdiction to be considered by serious operators. It is one of the rare jurisdictions where you can sit around the table, discuss with regulators, and come up with a solution. You, you, you really have that. Um, this, is, this is where I'll pen off uh, now, and uh, thank you, thank you all for your attention. Ashley, thank you very much indeed. A brilliant set of insights there, and uh, a perspective from your role as managing partner of uh, Lex. 
so we now, uh, with great pleasure, move on to Mr. Kamal Burung, who is going to talk about the authorization process for a virtual asset service provider. Mr. Burung, my pleasure to hand over to you, sir. Thank you. Uh, a very good morning or, and good afternoon, depending on where you're based. Uh, just by way of agenda, I think, uh, so we will quickly touch upon the licenses that uh, that's of prescribed under the Vitals Act. My colleagues have already touched upon it. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just recap on these. Then we'll talk about the application process, uh, how to make, uh, how to apply for the licenses. We will then talk about the factors that we consider when determining applications. Uh, we will briefly touch on the internal process for determining applications at the level of the commission. And then we'll touch upon the uh, various rules that we have that licenses will have to comply with once they are licensed. So can we move to the next slide, please? Yeah, so the five licenses under the VITOS Act uh, are the virtual asset broker dealer, the virtual asset wallet services, the virtual asset custodian license, the virtual asset advisory services, and the virtual asset marketplace. Now, an issuer of initial token offering must be registered with the FSC, but that follows a slightly different process. Uh, it is not part of the application for, for a license. Thank you. Next slide, please. So how does one make an application? Uh, the, all applications have to be submitted on the FSC One platform for both domestic and global business companies. Uh, for global business companies, uh, applications have to be made through a management company that is licensed by the FSC. A list of the management companies licensed by the FSC can be found on the FSC website, www.fscmauritius.org. Uh, for domestic companies that uh, will have to be, domestic companies will have to be incorporated prior to submission of applications. And uh, our licensing criteria is, can be found on our website, uh, org, And of course, uh, the fees need to be paid prior to us starting processing the licenses. Thank you. Uh, so next slide, please. All right, so what are the factors that we consider uh, while determining an application? Uh, so we ensure, so the applicant will have to demonstrate compliance with the VITOS Act and the relevant rules that are applicable to the license. Uh, for example, they will have to demonstrate that the activities they are conducting, uh, they have applied for are actually in line with the legislation. They will have to demonstrate that the product they are bringing on the platform or the product that they are offering uh, fall under the definition of virtual asset as defined under the VITOS Act. Uh, the applicant will have to demonstrate robust AML safety controls and submission of draft AML safety procedures. Uh, profiles of a compliance officer, uh, money laundering reporting officer, a deputy money laundering reporting officer will have to be submitted to the commission. This is pursuant to the uh, anti-money laundering legislation. And we will expect the applicant to demonstrate compliance with the travel rules as well. Uh, that is to be able to identify the originator and beneficiary of the assets in case of cross-border wire transfers. We assess the fitness and probity of the applicant and the key personnel, so the key persons associated with the application. Uh, so the applicant will have to demonstrate that they were able to deliver the services under the license that they are applying for, but also that they are of good character. 
uh, and th that they don't have a history that is of concern to the Commission. We then uh, assess the whether there is any reputational risk that the that is associated with the application uh, that is associated with the officers with the applicant and whether once the license is granted whether that is going to create any prejudice to the uh, local financial system now one uh, important element uh, that we consider is the it infrastructure uh, most of the models that we have seen uh, that we have seen so far are heavily reliant on it infrastructure so a virtual asset marketplace, for example, must have a sophisticated IT platform that can match trades between buyers and sellers without any operational or settlement failures. Now, if the platform itself is providing a wallet and custody services, uh, they should be backed by robust IT infrastructure. The interoperability of the various systems is also of interest to us, and the applicant must demonstrate that independent testing has been performed and any weaknesses identified uh, must have been remedied. So we'll require regular testing and reporting on the systems to the Commission. Uh, associated with that are cybersecurity risks. So given the heavy reliance on uh, IT, we will expect the applicant to demonstrate that they have adequate cybersecurity measures in place and they conduct uh, periodic penetration testing, etc., and have adequate risk management procedures. Uh, very important is the governance. As we have seen with some of the recent failures, uh, one of the uh, deficiency with those models were lack of governance. So while there are minimum uh, requirements spelled out in the licensing criteria, such as minimum number of directors, uh, independent directors to be part of the board, uh, we will assess whether there are adequate controls and oversight of the board to ensure that customers' assets are protected and the interests are protected. Uh, one of the statutory mandate of the commission being consumer protection. We will, as part of the application assessment, we will uh, look at the adequacy of the resources uh, in terms of capital requirements, in terms of uh, capacity of the, so human resources capacity of the, of the applicant. And overall, the model uh, should be sustainable uh, for a successful application, uh, for the application to be successful. So, next slide, please. Uh, in terms of the internal process, uh, we have a sort of established process at the level of the Commission to process and determine applications. So, what we have is uh, the application is lodged through FS1 platform. Uh, technical assessment is made on the platform, and we use the uh, FSE1 platform to raise queries and process the application. When the application is complete, it is tabled at an application committee, which consists of senior members of the of the commission uh, to determine the application. Some of the applications may be referred to the board, and in case the application is declined, it also goes to the board for validation. And if the application is approved, then the licenses are issued at that stage. Uh, this slide, uh, so the next slide just shows all the rules that are available that are that have been issued under the VITOS Act, and compliance with these acts, with these rules, uh, is expected by the by the licensees. Uh, not all of them necessarily applies to all the licenses, but a number of these will apply across to all the licensees. 
That will be all from my side. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Much appreciated. Now, my pleasure to introduce Mr. Shalendra Singh Dungor, who is going to talk about supervision of virtual asset service providers. Thank you so much. Hello, greetings to everybody. Uh, so my uh, colleague Kamal, he spoke about the licensing process and what are the requirements, the licensing criteria and all that. So uh, once an applicant is, is granted a license, uh, it will then move uh, to the supervision team. And this is where I come in. Uh, I will take you through uh, the supervision uh, framework, which is embedded in the Vitals Act. Uh, would you um, move to the next slide, please, for me? You? Yeah, thank you. So uh, you can see on the, on the slide, uh, the enabling section of the Vitals Act which provides for the on-site inspection is section 37. And it provides that uh, the commission may at any time cause to be carried out an inspection into the business activities of a virtual asset service provider and an issuer of initial token offerings and cause to be carried out an audit of the books and records. So obviously uh, where, where any person intentionally obstructs the chief executive or fails without credible excuse to comply with the directions shall commit an offense, okay? And you can see those uh, penalties which can be imposed. Next slide, please. So uh, an unsatisfaction basically has two legs, okay? Uh, it will cover the potential and business conduct aspect of the licensee, and will also involve an assessment of the AML safety requirements. Uh, in terms of some indication, an inspection normally takes on average three days, where the inspectors will engage with officers of the licensee and inspect the records in order to make an assessment on the level of compliance of the licensee. Uh, in the slides to come, I will uh, take you through the inspection process. But firstly, uh, let me uh, highlight the key objectives of an unsatisfaction, yes, you have it on the slide. So basically it's, uh, why, why does the commission conduct inspection? To assess the market conduct for fairness and transparency. Obviously checking adherence to the ML safety legislation. This is uh, of primary importance, especially in the vital sector. Uh, ensuring soundness of corporate governance principles, evaluating the risk management processes, evaluating the internal controls, and also ultimately to maintain the sound repute of the jurisdiction. Uh, next slide, please. Yeah, thank you. So I was explaining about the process. So the inspection process will, uh, will normally start with, uh, with a virtual call with the licensee. Subsequently, we will uh, go on site on the, at the premises of the licensee. We will conduct interviews with the senior management, the MLRO, the compliance officer, the staff in general, to get an understanding of the licensee's operations and activities. Okay, we will make an assessment on the ML safety program 
uh, of the licensee will also take note of deficiencies and breaches of the law. And before we end the inspection, we will definitely uh, meet with the senior management. Uh, basically, it's the board members. We have an exit meeting with them where we normally explain those deficiencies that we have noted during the conduct of the inspection. Once we are back to the office, we will um, draft a report. We call it a, rec a recommendation letter. Uh, this letter will actually detail uh, all the deficiencies observed during the inspection. And it also, um, uh, you know, the, the licensee is allowed a time frame to uh, come up with a remedial action. You would see it says that licenses are allowed seven days to propose a remedial plan. And uh, this is submitted to the commission. Uh, upon approval, the licensees then have uh, up to two months to implement the remedial plan. And this is um, an ongoing assessment. After two months, the licensee will be uh, assessed again in terms of uh, its compliance. Next slide, please. Yeah, so offsite is also uh, very fundamental in monitoring the conduct of activities of licenses. You know, as part of the obligations contained in those uh, rules, uh, even the Vitals Act, they have to submit a number of, of, um, of documents to the commission, including the audited financial statements, such as returns and any other reports on a regular basis. So these are assessed. These are assessed to ensure compliance of the licensee with relevant laws. Uh, we also verify through the accounts the financial soundness and solvency position of the licensee. And ultimately, uh, this uh, information is, is important for the ongoing assessment of the licensee. Thank you. Next slide. Yeah. So um, there are a number of obligations under the VITOS Act. Um, the list which you can see on the slide is not exhaustive. I will just name a few. So basically, um, a licensee needs, uh, requires pre-approval of the commission before the appointment, for the appointment of officers and senior executives, right? In the right to suck, there's also an obligation for senior executive to report any matter to the commission. They also need uh, to have the prior approval of the commission for any change in shareholding of initial interest. Uh, they also uh, require to uh, conduct any uh, enhanced CDD, enhanced diligence where necessary. Transaction monitoring is another important aspect. Uh, this is verified during the inspection as well. Uh, licensees are also required to, to perform a regular uh, pen test on the IT infrastructure to guard against cybersecurity risk and to ensure that any marketing material used, uh, you know, uh, any, any um, um, material used um, towards the consumers, they are accurate and not deceptive. And they're also required to address consumer complaints properly. You will see on the next slide, a few other ongoing obligations. It's about maintaining proper internal controls, adherence to the rules under the vitals. There are eight rules in, uh, under the vitals financial obligations. So they have to file the accounts every year and they also meet, uh, uh, need to comply with the capital and other financial resources requirement. They have to maintain professional conduct and confidentiality. Data protection is very uh, important as well. 
uh, obviously timely settlement of their fees and adherence to corporate governance best practices. Next slide. Uh, I think my colleague Tunisha already touched upon uh, on the investigation. Section 39 provides that where the chief executive has reasonable ground to believe that AVSP or NIITO has committed uh, or is committing or is likely to commit a breach of this act, then um, uh, or has carried out any uh, business activities which may cause prejudice to the soundness and stability of the financial system in Mauritius. So the chief executive can order an investigation to be conducted into the uh, activities of that company. Next slide. So any person uh, in terms of the investigation, any person who, who in respect of a question put to him during an inspection invest, or investigation uh, provides wrong information, again, there's a fine for that. Obviously these are open conviction. Uh, in terms of a general uh, rule, the VSP and IITOs have an obligation to abide by the provisions of the Vitals Act, and this is catered for in section 50, where um, any breach is actually uh, holds a penalty as well. Now, uh, I think this is my last slide about enfor enforcement. Uh, in cases of serious or repeated non-compliance, matters are referred to the enforcement uh, directorate for appropriate actions. There are a number of uh, sanctions which can be taken by the commission. You can see the list on the slide. You can, uh, the commission can suspend a license, revoke a license, disqualify the directors, officers, give directions, give warnings. We can issue, uh, also issue public censure, impose admi administrative penalties, and so on and so forth. So the virus provides quite a number of uh, elements um, within a supervisory uh, framework. Um, then thank you for your attention. I think I will uh, pass on to my next colleague, but huge first. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we are truly going through some fabulous material here uh, and sharing some great insights. Next we have Mrs. Nonduchan, who is the Chief of Supervision uh, of the Bank of Mauritius, and she is going to talk about the initiatives from the Bank of Mauritius perspective in the virtual assets sphere. Thank you, you. Yes. So good afternoon, everybody. I will just give some brief insights into the initiative taken by the Central Bank in relation to development of progress made in the fintech sector, which encompass, encompasses the virtual assets ecosystem. Next slide, please. And next one again, please. Okay, here I just want to mention uh, that the fintech has attracted a lot of attention recently, the more so that during the COVID-19 pandemic, banks in Mauritius have rapidly adopted technology-based solutions in a very short lapse of time to minimize disruption in access to banking services. Such a process would have normally taken years. And on the other hand, regulators in Mauritius have prioritized fintech solutions, uh, employed technological solutions in their regulatory work during the same time. 
allow me to take you down the road with the developments which have been carried out at the level of the central bank to create an enabling environment and to accompany the industry. To talk about, first of all, about the payment infrastructure. So the central bank back in the 2011 had implemented a bug clearing system which clears checks based on electronic images with a clearing cycle of maximum two days. The, I will just mention a few of these observations. Uh, and the bank went on in 2019, the bank implemented a national payment switch, which is called the MOCAS, the Mauritius Central Automated Switch, a state-of-the-art 24-7 digital payment system, which makes banking, e-commerce, and mobile payment interoperable and encourages cashless means of payment. Next, please. Continu continuing in its efforts, in September 2021, the bank launched the MOCAS QR code in order to develop an interoperable retail payment ecosystem and to facilitate digital payments at national level. And following the promulgation of the, what we call the National Payment System Regulation 2021, the bank now has licensed three payments service providers which offer digital payment solutions in Mauritius. Just to mention that the central banks, we regulate banks, non-bank, uh, deposit-taking institution and foreign exchange dealers. So now we have onboard, onboarded payment service providers. Next, please. Yes. Now, side by side, the bank has issued guidelines to create an enabling environment given the increasing uh, digitalization of financial services. So you will see on the screen that we have issued guidelines uh, since the early 2000s on mobile banking, internet banking, on outsourcing, and on digital banks. Next. To support the ongoing digital transformation, uh, one back, please. Yes, to support the ongoing digital transformation of the banking sector, we recently released a guideline on the use of cloud services. And now the bank is looking on the rationalization of reporting requirements, including the use of the relevant RegTech subtech solution with the objective of reducing the regulatory burden. Next, please. We will all agree that perhaps the greatest risk with FinTech is the one of cybersecurity. So in view of this heightened cybersecurity risk, the bank has recently issued a guideline on cyber and technology risk management for consultation. Similarly, since uh, the coming into effect of the virus, the bank has also issued a guideline for virtual asset related activities, which I will elaborate on later on for public consultation. And a very ma uh, major development is that the bank is developing a central bank digital currency around which the banking sector can now build new solutions. The focus is on the offline capabilities of CBDCs to offer consumer an alternative electronic payment mode. Next, please. Now, how can I not comment on something which is in the press right now? So recently, the, the central bank governor has, was talking to central banking, whereby he has announced that by the year's end, we hope to launch a pilot project on the CBDC. He has also mentioned that the second greatest opportunity with this 
currency behind protecting monetary sovereignty would be to assess AML CFT systems. Next, please. Now, in order to deliver on all fronts, the central bank has set up appropriate forums and collaborated with several other regulators and stakeholders to be able to give the deliverables. As such, in November 2020, the BOM had established a multilateral fintech committee comprising various agencies to chart a roadmap for the financial industry to embrace fintech. Uh, one of the recommendations of that fintech committee, uh, and it was made uh, it, uh, in, through the, the amendment to the Banking Act, which, which was to empower the bank to grant a regulatory sandbox, sandbox authorization to a financial institution, a licensee under the National Payment System Act, or a body corporate. Now the bank is working in close collaboration with the Ministry of Information Technology, whereby we are trying to come up with a mechanism to facilitate it, which is called the Info Highway, and trying to work, come up with a mechanism to facilitate the digital onboarding of customers and online verification and validation of identity. We have also signed several MOUs, one of which is with the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier. And this MOU, it uh, encompasses uh, the fields of financial inclusion, digital innovation, and fintech regulation. Next, please. So, so similar uh, to the work being carried out by other central banks around the world, the Bank of Mauritius also has launched a fintech innovation hub and digital lab. The expression of interest was recently put uh, on our website. This hub and digital lab will focus on the development of fintech application for the banking and financial services in relation to the six key themes, which is listed over here. Next, please. Next, please. So basically following the NRA exercise, the central bank came out as one of its action items because we did not have legislative framework for banks. They came out with a draft guideline for virtual asset related activities, whereby we see here that banks can get involved in virtual asset related activities and can apply for several types of licenses. Next, please. So this guideline sets out the principle to be followed by banks, and it covers the responsibilities of the board of senior management of the assurance function and on the appropriateness of a risk management framework. Next, please. It also covers the prudential treatment of virtual assets in Mauritius and give, gives the minimum capital requirement for credit risk, market risk, and operational risk. As you will see, I have put the link of the guideline over here, which is available on the bank's website. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mrs. Nunduchan. Now to uh, round our session off, and very appropriately, uh, we have practitioner experience from a licensed operator at the Mindex Group in the form of Mrs. Jessica Naga, who is Chief Executive of the Mindex Group. Mrs. Naga, I'm delighted to hand over to you. So it's a pleasure for me to be here this morning, you. Thank you for hosting this and, and coordinating this. So my um, operator's perspective will be a more positive one. I think we've heard about the law, the risk, how they're managed. Uh, I think all of this is very positive. 
uh, for operators and investors because it builds um, comfort um, in, in a space that is worrying uh, in the world at the moment where sanctions and stuff being taken by different regulators. So um, my, my first thing is to explain why Mendex has chosen to set up its headquarters in Mauritius. And we will talk about the traditional reasons to choose Mauritius as an IFC. So it's a low risk country with favorable infrastructure. It's first country in Africa for good governance, 13th in the world for ease of doing business. It's a stable multi-party parliamentary democracy, clear constitutional separation of powers uh, and ultimate court of appeals sits with the Privy Council. Uh, uh, workforce bilingual, English and French. Um, it is one of the most well-developed infrastructure in Africa. So 65% of the population connected to internet. And I think it's actually probably more, but these are the World Bank figures. And then it's the fourth best country in the world to work remotely from. So in the FinTech space uh, where, you know, you could have um, uh, captains of industry or innovators anywhere in the world. This is a very interesting thing to think about. So next slide, please. It's also got a very strong financial policies framework. So we've spoken about some of them linked specifically to VITOS, but these are the general ones. So 29 um, investment promotion protection agreements, very straightforward tax system. Uh, it's got an extensive DTA network. It's got no exchange control provisions, which makes it an ideal exchange um, hub. Um, it's got approximately 19 local and international banks operating in Mauritius. And it's got a very well-developed legal and accounting sector with many of the major law firms here and branches of the big four accounting firms. Next slide, please. I think we've, um, the chief executive of the FSE touched on it. Uh, about Mauritius, you know, joining this elite group of countries in the world, uh, being compliant or largely compliant with the 40 FATF recommendations. And I think that is very important, especially in the fintech space where everything moves faster. So being fully compliant and transparent allows us to deal internationally with financial uh, institution faster, cheaper, more easily. And that is very, very helpful for fintech companies. Next slide, please. So as a lawyer and as a fintech lawyer and as the CEO of, of Mindex, I think one of the most interesting things for us is the framework, uh, the Vitus framework that brings enormous certainty. Um, and, I, and I stress that. And I, I, I won't go again on what my, my learned friend or my colleagues have raised, but I'll just look at the definition of virtual asset because it's very wide. It, a virtual asset defined by the law is a digital representation of value that may be digitally traded or transferred and may be used for payment or investment. So that's very interesting because anything that is investment then would be caught by this law. So anything, you know, if you look at the whole ICO bubble that didn't really work um, and led to a lot of scams was because people were trying to get around very stringent securities law. Um, here, you can't do this anymore. You can't look for gaps. The, the, the jurisdiction is choosing to go very regulated way. And I think that brings certainty. 
So if you look at the exclusion, so point B there, it says that it doesn't include a digital representation of fiat currencies, securities, and other financial assets. That is key because it doesn't exclude digital securities from regulation. It excludes it from that act, but a security token is a security. It's almost as if it's technology neutral. It's regulated by the Securities Act, which means that it's very clearly defined now. You can't play. If you're a securities, you fall under the Securities Act. If you're not, you fall as an ITO, both fully regulated. I think that brings certainty. And I say this because of the couple of cases that we've seen out of the SEC. So can we go to the next slide, please? So this is, you know, a case that I, I think is interesting to look at. It's March 2023. It's very recent. It's the SEC taking sanction against a crypto trading platform called Bexy. Um, and what they've said is that you are operating as if you are a securities platform. So an exchange, a broker, a clearing agency and a dealer. And the problem with these things is that the sanctions lead to these exchanges closing down or suspending operation at the expense of end users. And we've seen yesterday, so no later than yesterday, um, the SEC issuing a similar um, sanction or charge, if we want, against Bittrex, which is a big one. So this is where the regulators are going. Can you go to the next slide, please? So this is another example that is hugely interesting. And that is your NBA branded Top Shot Moments NFTs. And again, a case February 2023 was there was a class action against um, this um, NFT platform saying, are you a securities exchange and therefore do you need to be regulated? I think it's very important to look at this because what some of these reg uh, jurisdictions are doing is that they're saying, we're not gonna regulate. But if you don't regulate, we can um, sanction you post-event. And that's very dangerous because there's, there's a lack of certainty. And that is very risky, not just for the operators and the businesses, but also for the end users. So that is why Mindex thinks it is the safest thing to be in a regulation that has declared itself to be fully regulated. Next slide, please. That is an older case, but I think it's interesting. And again, same, same kind of logic. SEC again, um, using um, insider trading sanction to sanction an employee of OpenSea, which is just an NFT art trading platform. And if you look at the last sentence there, what the SEC says is today's charges demonstrate the commitment of this office to stem out insider trading, whether it occurs on the stock market or the blockchain. So the world is going regulated, whether they're saying it or not, whether it is through laws in, um, imposed at the beginning or sanctions at the end. So next slide, please. This is the ecosystem that Mindex has built from Mauritius because it's able to. So it's an ecosystem to create, store, trade virtual assets of any kind so that a client can choose whether it's a securities or non-securities to operate fully regulated into that ecosystem. So it is a digital securities exchange, virtual asset exchange, a clearinghouse, and a digital custodian. I think what I would like to say is that this FinTech play is very much a Lego play. And we welcome operators around the world to work with us. Uh, JVs can be done quickly. This is a space that moves fast. 
I think one of the concerns that I see um, as a lawyer that I've, I've seen clients with one asset, trying to set up an exchange to trade that asset. The problem with a decision like this is that they might not put in all of the layers of the onion that um, Mr. Kamal Baran discussed earlier are necessary to build a secure ecosystem with the right people, the cybersecurity risk managed, and so many layers. So um, a Lego play is probably a better play to move faster in a ever-changing ecosystem, but to do it more securely for end users, for that operator, and for the jurisdiction. Next slide, please. And that would be my conclusion. So, as my learned friend, Mr. Gopi, says, it is the case that Mauritius wants the serious players, the ones who want to be regulated, to, who want to be transparent. And it could be said that it is an onerous choice for Mauritius to go the highly regulated way in a very new and innovative sector, and therefore applications take longer and go live take longer, even though you have heard the regulators talk today about everything they're doing to make applications go faster. But I think it's a judicious choice that Mauritius is making to build a sustainable and trusted fintech hub and to do that, it's leveraging on things that it has built over, I mean, 30 years of IFC, which is trusted regulators, laws, and legal system, a tried and tested traditional financial system with seasoned regulated players, an innovative digital financial infrastructure that Mindex is really excited to be part of building on the back of blockchain technology, skilled bilingual human resource, and a pioneering regulatory framework that Vitus is to reassure investors around the world. So these are my two cents on it. Thank you very much for, for having me. Thank you very much indeed, Jessica, for the fantastic uh, description of the reasons to use Mauritius as your international financial center. And what a tremendous uh, finishing presentation to complete our tour around virtual assets and fintech and other initiatives going on in the uh, fintech world, in the Mauritius world as an international financial center, hearing from the Financial Services Commission, from the Bank of Mauritius and from practitioners in the field. Now, we would not be able to bring you these sessions without uh, the support of our sponsors. And I would like to record my thanks to them once more. Um, they really do enable us to uh, offer, offer up such interesting topics as you've just heard. <laughs> Pardon me, uh, and I hope everyone has uh, enjoyed the session as much as I have. I think we've had some fantastic sessions, and I would very much like to thank the speakers for all their contribution uh, to making this webinar a very interesting one, very informative one, uh, and one from which I'm sure everyone will have lots of takeaways. Thank you to them all. Now, there are other uh, FS Club webinars coming up. Uh, you will see that uh, Thursday this week, launch of Global Green Finance Index 11. Uh, Thursday week, the future of green hydrogen. There's also hot topics in employee share ownership. And on the 2nd of May, harnessing markets to deliver. Uh, and that's a look at Paris. So I commend all those to you. Uh, and I would like to thank the audience, finally, for your attendance and your engagement. And once more, thank you all for attending this outstanding webinar. Thank you to everyone.